Hi, I'm Shona. And I'm Craig. And this is London by Lockdown, a travel podcast about falling in love with the new city in strange times, remaining curious and open, enjoying everyday discoveries and making it work. Hello. You've reached hard lockdown. It's early November, and new infections in the United Kingdom are over 22,000 cases a day. For stoic perseverance, press 1. For resigned indifference, press 2. For recipes, press 3. If you are confused about what the rules are, press 4. For cautious optimism, press 5. If you previously selected cautious optimism, and wish to change your selection, press 6. To hear these options again, press 7. To scream into the abyss, press hash. Or just hang up. Welcome to episode 10, What About Work? (coughs) Hello, I'm Brian. Thanks for zooming in, Greg. Uh, No problems, it's Craig actually. Correct. So tell me about yourself. Uh, well, I'm from Australia. Interesting. And Is that an accent? Uh, yes, I arrived here. We've had 4,802 people apply for this role. Why are you a standout candidate? Well, I believe my experience in a number On of... On to the next question. So, Craig. Yep. Can you close your eyes? Yep. Think back 10 months ago before you hopped on a plane to Heathrow. What did you think things would look like for you work wise by now? Well, I was moving to a big city and it's kind of famous for the arts, media, publishing industries. And I thought I'd have a job, probably a part time job, so I could juggle paid work and creative practice. That sounds kind of reasonable. Even at 19 with zero experience. I landed in London and got a copy editing job with an industry magazine. Admittedly, it was a terrible industry magazine, (laughs) but it was a job in publishing nonetheless. I wasn't able to organise anything before I got here. The process wasn't clear and it was a bit opaque. And once you got here, you hit the ground running, you were putting in applications right away. Yep. And then COVID. Yeah. And so the next emails I received from prospective employers were that everything was on hold and they didn't know what was going on. What was your next step after that? I'd actually thought about applying for sort of supermarket jobs because everything changed and supermarkets were expanding their warehouses. You and I have always kept our finances separate. Because of the jobs we do, economic independence is kind of really important so that we can pick and choose what jobs we take and when we take them and how long we take them for. From my side, you'd moved halfway across the world to support a great opportunity for me. It didn't really seem fair that you should have to step away from your career. And I feel really lucky that I've kept my job. So what we did was we set up what we call the workers co-op, where we pay our combined earnings into one pot of money and then halve it. And that's also because I didn't want you or me to feel like you had to ask for permission every time you needed to buy something. It's clearly 
completely arbitrary at the moment who gets to keep their job and who doesn't. Something that has come out of it is the government's furlough scheme where the government's been paying part of a worker's salary in turn for the employer keeping that job alive. And they were rolling that back until today, the 1st of November. We're going into hard lockdown again. And so the government has extended that. One in three workers in the UK were on furlough. And this issue of economic support has been at the heart of a standoff that's been happening between the historically more working class north of England, which has faced a series of hard lockdowns, but the richer south has been protected. Just in general, I think there's a pattern that those in insecure work have been much more left out in the cold, whereas middle class jobs have been protected. You're right. And saying that, I am used to juggling insecure work alongside grasping at pockets of different sorts of arts funding. And I've constantly had to be prepared for time without paid work. And your strategy for that has always been to save a lot of your pay and try to get by on very little money. I know there's a lot of privilege in being able to choose to be in those precarious industries and, Absolutely, yeah. and that type of thing. And normally when I'm kind of making those decisions, there's bits of the economy that are going okay and bits that are up and down sort of thing. But at the moment, as we know, everything's collapsed. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm finding I'm locked out. Completely locked out. Yeah. yeah. So I'm applying for some roles where I've got two decades worth of experience and I'm not even getting an interview. And I'm sure that's happening to other people as well. It's really rough, yeah. really rough. And I did wonder if we should head home. I didn't. You didn't? No. Part of it was we'd come all this way, but the other side of it was pragmatically neither of us would have a job yeah, if we went true. back home. Yeah. And as we said before, everywhere's been hit hard. And the other pragmatic thing is it had cost a small fortune to get back because numbers have been cut by people allowed to come back into Australia, then flights have been cut, and then planes can only be half full. It had cost over 10 grand each for us to get home. Because they've hiked up the ticket prices for flights and then quarantine as well. You have to pay for quarantine in Australia. So can you tell me about your most recent work experience? I took some time off to visit family before I left Australia. And unfortunately, I've been unemployed since I got to London about nine months ago. And why did you leave that position? Um... Uh, because I wanted a job. And can you tell me a bit more about the role? Wanting to earn money for my labour? Can you expand on that? Shona. Yes? Just close your eyes for a minute. <laughs> can you give us a status update on your job, please? Yes. We shifted to remote work in mid-March. And the earliest we'll be back in the office is spring 2021. And no one will be required to work in the office until early 2022, if we go back at all. And because London rents are just so expensive, that's also given people the opportunity to move out of the city. I'm used to working from home. You are. And years ago, I did realise that if I wasn't disciplined, I'd just work all the time. So I keep a strict eight-hour day, nine to five. And that's for your creative work? Yep. I work ten to six. We found staggering's good. It yeah. Gives, gives us a bit of time to ourselves. Especially in a one-bedroom flat. I work from the kitchen table. I set up in the bedroom on the bed. For London by lockdown, we schedule production meetings on the weekend. 
which also means that we can keep a separation between that and my other job as well. And the aim of the podcast has always been to help uh, me, because I guess I don't have that external kind of contact that you have with work, even though it's Zoom and all the rest of it, to help me feel more connected to both place and people. Yeah. And writing is my first love, but doing that all the time can become incredibly insular and it can take months to get some sort of feedback. So I'm still writing. But the podcast is a way to experiment with different ways of telling stories. It's been really great to put myself out there and connect with the listeners from each show. And overall, it has actually made me feel less isolated than I probably would have otherwise. It's also been a great way to get in on the ground level of the burgeoning quarantine travel industry as well. Oh, <laughs> completely. Really make you mad. <laughs> Which is going to only grow. <laughs> One of the things I've been really struck by the moment that we're in is just how we're all reassessing what jobs are essential and which aren't. You know, it's these so-called unskilled jobs which have been really poorly paid. They actually keep the world running. And we kind didn't we kind of know that? Like- yeah, I mean, I'm sure we had a hunch that an advertising executive wasn't <laughs> worth six times <laughs> as much as a care worker, you know Ex- what I mean? Exactly. I'm blown away by how creative people are when they're given back all the time they normally spend working for others or commuting. And I think we're seeing some amazing activism in that vein. People fighting for housing rights and the anti-evictions work people are doing and people fighting racial injustice. And worker solidarity. I just read a guide by the Swarm Collective, the sex worker advocacy and reform movement. COVID restrictions saw sex workers lose all their income. They were also denied income support, denied furlough and all the other sorts of supports that are out there. The guide that they've just put out outlines their experience of setting up a bio sex worker for sex worker hardship fund. And there's some great quotes in there, you know, people talking about how they're really fiercely proud of being able to provide this really fundamental support to people in crisis, but also being really angry that there was a need for that type of support at all. And that really sums up the leadership we're seeing from working class people and migrants and other people who are locked out of that sort of secure work. And that leadership is dealing with both these really immediate day-to-day needs while also spearheading the fight to get to the root causes of why those injustices exist and persist. So where would you like to be five years from now? Not in a pandemic. And what would you say is your greatest weakness? Look, I'm sad and I'm angry, and I don't really feel safe in a place where 20,000 people a day are being diagnosed with COVID. We're being told we have to choose between public safety and people having enough to get by, but I don't see it as a choice. We can do both. So my fear and anger, they're not weaknesses, because there's a strength in that. Can you give me an example where you overcame a hardship in the workplace? I haven't had a single job interview in 2020. I consider it a win just getting up in the morning because I think all any of us have to do is come out the other side of this intact. Uh Uh-huh. Well, great getting to know you, Greg. Craig. I just have one last question. Could you tell me who inspires you? I can. We just wanted to give a bit of a rundown of three amazing campaigns that we've been learning a bit about. 
So we've been hearing about how workers have been fighting racist redundancies. All across the city? Arts institutions have been given government subsidies and then they've cut jobs. Which is super dodgy. And the jobs that they're cutting are the black and brown workers, people who are in the lowest paid jobs in cafeterias and bookshops. And I heard that over summer, Tate workers went on strike for like six weeks. Like, 42 days, yeah, amazing. Like and one of the things I think they were pointing out was if the highest salaries were capped at £100,000 a year, there'd be plenty of money to go around for everyone. <laughs> Which is insane. It's a huge amount of money. <laughs> Isn't it? The thing that I love about that campaign is it's so creative. It's in, It's got teachings, it's got, well, the in-person strikes, there's digital actions. <laughs> it's artists, gone viral. Uh, yeah, <laughs> artists know what they're doing, hey. The brilliant news is that as we speak, the strike is suspended and it looks like the union and the Tate are coming to some kind of agreement. Key workers to work. They rely on us. So that's why we drive our red London bus. And we've been learning about bus drivers' fight for basic health and safety measures. Back in May, the Office of National Statistics found that taxi drivers and bus drivers had some of the highest death rates from COVID. So faced with these really unsafe workplaces, we saw bus drivers stepping up and taking control of their own health and safety measures. This came in the wake of the assault on Belly Majinga, an immune-compromised rail worker who was made to work in a public-facing role and then died from COVID after being spat on. So we saw activist bus drivers deciding not to open their front doors and only the middle doors so they were less exposed. They spoke out against inadequate deep cleaning, a lack of PPE and hand sanitizer, and they demanded that their Perspex screens be fully closed off. And folks in Newcross rallied behind bus drivers and a whole heap of frontline workers by sewing masks and providing them free. And that's for the Masks for Extraordinary People campaign. Yeah, brilliant. I'm striking for equality. I'm striking for the benefit of the family. I'm striking for respect. Dignity and equality. I'm striking for my family. I strike for my future. I'm striking for equality and dignity. I'm striking for respect and dignity and back pay. I'm striking. I don't want to be afraid no more. We've been learning about the fight to bring cleaners back in house. I've been completely floored by the incredible campaign of London's cleaners who are fighting outsourcing and to be brought back in house. That's a system where there's basically one set of rights for in-house white workers and lesser rights for people of colour and migrants. My name is Mildred Simpson. All we are asking for is equality. We are not the dirt, we clean. We are not the dirt, we clean. We are just asking for equality. That's all we need, equality and justice. In January, after a whole bunch of industrial actions, 1,000 contract cleaners porters and caterers at five different London hospitals were brought back in-house. Now they get NHS pay rates, sick leave and pensions. And I'd never heard of workers successfully fighting outsourcing before. And I think a whole heap of other industries are going to be looking at how exactly the cleaners did it. The government compensates families for COVID-related deaths of high-status workers, like doctors. So they should but doesn't compensate the families of low-status workers like cleaners. Even when they're working in exactly the same hospitals, right? Yep. And I think, like, taking a step back, no essential worker should be expected to do high-risk work on the same insecure contracts and pre-COVID pay rates that they were getting before. That's just ridiculous. Completely. And that's the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you're finding ways to be kind to yourself, 
whether that's keeping busy or not keeping busy. And our heart goes out to everyone who's doing it tough at the moment. We also have some exciting news. Very exciting. Shamila from Speaking Volumes, who you may remember as my first official London friend. Bonafide. Has reached out for a collaboration, which is going to be our next show. Woo! Speaking Volumes does amazing work. It does. Yeah, and we're excited about working together. We are. Yeah. So join us for our next adventure. As always, thanks to Unregistered Master Builder and to Kester from the Free Music Archive for the show music. Poetry by Carolyn Pillen for the Masks for Extraordinary People campaign. Sound effects, Justin Mullins and the BBC Archives. We've put a ton of links in the show notes, including links to some powerful stuff we couldn't actually fit in the show. And we've also got some links to the AI stuff as well, so you too can rage against the machine. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to help any time. And Brian, the interviewer, also does a really good version of New York, New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. My pleasure, Greg. We're going to leave you with Caroline Pellin's poem. She's a new cross bus driver of more than 40 years, and it's from a video created in April to raise awareness about the need for safe working conditions. And it's a tribute to all essential frontline workers who've passed away from COVID-19. I waked my alarm to start a new day. I shower and dress and set out on my way. I make a coffee and fill my flask. Then leave the house, not forgetting my mask. I arrive at work, my day is the same. Driving a bus via a London bus lane. Key workers to work, they rely on us. So that's why we drive our red London bus. Drivers have died due to COVID-19. A space on the rotor where once they have been. So on this day at 11am, we fall silent and remember them. <laughs>